You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. We are week five of our Seven Parables Guiding Your Steps series. And... um, and as we said, you get more, more bang for your buck. There are more than seven parables that we're covering. In fact, uh, the last three weeks, we're covering seven parables all at once. And as small as these parables are, there's so much to talk about. So um, it's been a, a ton of fun diving into these. Um, I've gained so much. God's word is so cool. Um, and so we're just a few weeks away from the Lent season. We'll jump into the last week of Christ during Lent. And I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you guys. But just a couple more weeks of parables after this one. And we said that Matthew writes like a rabbi when he talks about his rabbi. So we need to understand that he's having the conversation in a certain way. And if you understand those rabbinical tools, it helps you to see the conversation maybe in new light. We also said that this is the, in the book of Matthew, there are five major teaching sections. It starts with the Sermon on the Mount, ends with the um, Olivet Discourse, the conversation on the Mount of Olives. Right in the middle of all those conversations is this particular conversation, this major teaching section here in Matthew 13. It's right in the middle. So that might be significant if you remember conversations about chiasms, what's right in the middle. We also said last week that when we look at these seven parables in the book of, or in this chapter, chapter 13, that the protagonist, the main character in each of these stories is God, and you have to read it that way, Rob. I uh, forgot to do that this week. I had to rewrite my sermon. That's always kind of fun. I, w- I put myself as the protagonist. I was writing my sermon as, as if we were the protagonist in the story. And God says, hey, Rob, slow down. You're not the protagonist. I am. Wrestle with that. So in the original parable that Logan presented two weeks ago, the parable of the sower, where he actually never says the word seed. I know some of our versions tell us it's a seed that he's sowing. That's good. They're actually trying to help us out. Those are thought-by-thought translations. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. Uh, Helps people that are just coming to the conversation for the first time know what Jesus is talking about. But it also is significant that he never says the word seed. But the sower is God. And then the next parable, he says seed a lot, maybe more than he needs to. And so maybe, maybe Jesus is connecting or Matthew's connecting these two stories, but the sower of the good seed is the son of man, and that represents God. The one planting the mustard seed, the farmer, that's God. The woman hiding leaven in flour, and she's hiding leaven in flour? That's a weird phrase. But the woman hiding leaven in the flower, that is God. 
The one finding treasure is God. The one looking for pearls is God. The one drawing in the dragnet, or at least directing that, telling his angels to do that, that is God. So we have to read these stories in that light. And we showed you this graphic last week, and we talked about the connection between these different stories. The first three stories are the introduction to them is told in the same way. The last three stories, the hidden treasure, the costly pearl, and the dragnet, they are told in a certain way. The introduction is told in a certain way. The terrors and the dragnet, they are connected because these both have end time implications. They have angels involved. You have good and you have evil. The mustard seed and the costly pearl. The mustard seed becomes the largest of trees and the costly pearl has to be the biggest pearl because why would you sell everything for a small pearl, right? The leaven is hidden. The leaven is hidden by the woman in the dough and the treasure is hidden. And the guy hides it again. So all these stories are connected. And so we have to read this as one big story. Now we're doing it, we're kind of breaking things up by chunk, by chunk, by chunk, by chunk, but then you have to kind of come back to the fact that's one big story. And so let's look at the next slide. I believe that these bottom six stories are connected and fall under the umbrella of the sower story, the larger conversation of what it looks like to prepare our hearts, right? Christ invites you to improve the soil of your heart. Let's go back to the graphic. And when he invites you to do that, maybe the next six parables tell us what kinds of things he's talking about. Because Jesus is speaking to religious people. He's not talking to the irreligious. He's talking to very religious people. Do religious people always get it right? No, no, they don't. And neither did Jesus' disciples and neither did the crowds that were around Jesus. But these were religious people. And Jesus is saying, you think you know what it means to be in relationship with God? Let me speak to you. He who has ears, let him hear. And so we see this pattern of the sower the parable being told and then, then why Jesus speaks in parables and then he explains the parable and then that pattern is repeated again with the terrors and why he sp speaks in parables and then the explanation of the terrors parable, which has more information. And so maybe the conversation is about how we prepare the soil of our heart. Christ invites you to improve the soil of your heart and what kinds of rocks and what kinds of weeds is he asking us to remove? So last week's parable, we said that um, we have to ask the question, who do we believe are beyond God's grace? Like what's, our, what's the sin? What's the issue? Who's the person that we believe is too far gone. Maybe our perception is wrong. 
And then how do you see race and culture within God's kingdom? Because that was a big issue for the Jews. They saw Israel and they saw the rest of the people. And is that still a problem in modern Christianity where we, we see our skin tone, our race, our culture as maybe elevated above, above the rest? That's problematic. I don't think there's any room for white supremacy in God's church, and yet we see it there. And what is our responsibility with God's kingdom? I said that I believe that these two stories of the wheat and the tares and the dragnet, that these two stories are connected to Daniel 3, which is, you know, we have, we have these great events in, in American culture, right? That we, we kind of hang on to, you know, going to the moon, D-Day. Like there was these great events where we go, look at America, look at, look at our ingenuity, look at our, you know, our, our ability to fight, look at our ability to just kind of hang in there when things are tough. For Israel, they had these great stories and Daniel 3 is this great story of a guy that, that lives his faith out really, really well. He perseveres. He doesn't isolate from culture. He doesn't assimilate in culture. He lives within the culture and he changes it. If you got some time, look at Daniel 3 and Daniel 4 and look what happens with King Nebuchadnezzar. It's huge. He starts out looking like a tear, like a weed, and he ends up looking like a God worshiper, a wheat. Maybe these stories are all connected. And so we're called to be a blue string in a white tassel world, where the blue string represents priesthood, and priests help people connect to their God. Priests, as a priest, I'm called to help you connect to God, but I'm not the only priest in this room. We're all priests. We are kingdom of priests, we're told in Hebrews. And we all are to help people connect to our God. And we need to do it like Daniel, who doesn't isolate. He doesn't assimilate, but he perseveres. And so that was last week's last week's uh, couple of parables. The question I want you to wrestle with today is, what is one doubt you still wrestle with as you follow Christ or as a follower of Christ? What is one nagging doubt that gets in the way of your relationship with God? What is that one doubt, that one issue, that one question mark that says, can I really be used by God? Can he really use me? Let's jump into this week's set of parables. And again, as we go, last week we were talking about the parables on the outside of the chiasm. We're moving closer to the center. And I think last week's parables was about how we look to those outside of us. And now we're going to start to talk about what does it look 
What does it mean to look at ourselves? How do I see myself? How do I view myself? The mustard seed, he present, presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And I've mentioned before that this mustard seed is, is something that you would not sow into your garden because it's a noxious weed. Okay, we'll talk about that. Parable number two, the leaven. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Two very short parables. They come with their problems. There's, there's things that you got to question when you read this because those questions will, will make you wrestle with why, why is Jesus saying this? Let's look at these, uh, some of the questions that we came up with. How does a plant become a tree? I've never seen that. It's the smallest seed and becomes the biggest tree. What? Why birds? Seems a little redundant. First of all, yes, trees as were birds land. One. And two, weren't the birds evil? Isn't that in the very first parable? Weren't they snatching out the seed from people's lives? Didn't they represent the devil? So why does the kingdom of heaven have something that's evil in its midst? And then why leaven? You tell a group of Jewish people that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven and you're going to wreck their world. Every year, when it comes to the Day of Atonement, as, as they prepare for the Day of Atonement, they are told to remove all leaven from their house. They remove bread. They remove alcohol if they got it. Every form of leaven, they're, they're actually, they give it away to their friends. If you got a friend that happens to be Jewish and he also likes whiskey, you'll get some whiskey if, if you're the friend that he picks. Uh, it's happened before. They get rid of all leaven. They go through the house with a plate and a feather and they take their kids and they look for, and actually what they'll do first, kind of like us hiding Easter eggs, they'll hide leaven throughout the house and maybe on top of the TV or on the gaming console to, just to get the kids to thinking about how's this gaming console caused me to maybe sin in my life. And it's, it's just word picture, there's just this reminder that everything that we're involved in, you know, there's, there's sin involved in some way, shape or form. So when you say that the kingdom of heaven is like God hiding it, that's going to confuse them. What is he doing there? Well, let's talk about the mustard seed parable first real quickly here. Uh, we talked about this quite a bit, actually, the last Sunday of 2020. This has been a parable that has been at the forefront of my mind. It's connected to Ezekiel 17. 
And in, that per, in Ezekiel 17, uh, Israel is told that they're going to be deported, which they already have been by this time. But the good news is that they're going to be brought back into Israel. And though they're a low stump, they'll become the largest tree and the birds of the air will nest in its branches. Can you see the connection? And this is one of the great promises that Israel's going to hang on to. It's like us hanging on to John 3.16, right? There's some, there's some verses that if someone says something that's similar to that, you're like, oh, I know what the pastor's doing. And that's what Jesus is doing. Well, the birds of the air represent the nations. And like the dragnet of last week, what we're being told in this story is that God's kingdom is going to bless all the nations. It's going to provide shade. It's going to provide strength. That cedar is going to provide a place for people to land. And, and for me, when I look at this story, it's just a reminder that the church is not meant to just be a self-licking ice cream cone. We're not here to benefit ourselves. We're here to benefit the world. And I think about like the church in Silver Valley, they spent $80,000 on a playground that is inside one of the, like those great big McDonald's playgrounds where kids climb all over everything and get lost. Lots of fun. They spent $80,000 so that the people of the community didn't have to drive to Coeur d'Alene to be able to enjoy that kind of environment. They could just drive a couple blocks over no one's checking their ID at the door. No one's checking to see what their theological standing is. It's just shade to the community. It's a blessing. And the church needs to function that way. That is what God is doing in the community. And that's why we have this core value that says God's church is meant to be a people of love and good works. We will be generous. We will serve. We will sacrifice. We will love our neighbor. Now, sometimes we think that in order for us to be sacrificially generous, that we have to have this great big bank account first. But maybe it starts with the mustard seed. Maybe it starts with the little acts of kindness first. Maybe if we're unwilling to do the little acts of kindness, we never get to the point of spending $80,000 on a gymnasium for kids we haven't met yet. But then the parable of leaven. And that's connected to Genesis 18. We'll have to talk about that in footnotes because it's not the conversation God wants me to have this morning. It's also a conversation about generosity, but again, we'll have that during our footnotes podcast. But we have to know that the kingdom of heaven, like leaven, once you put it in, it just permeates. It just keeps going. And I've heard that Missoula is a hard place to to plant a church, that people here, they just don't want churches here. And so I'm like, that seems like the perfect place to be. I think God wants to do something there. And so here we are. It's unstoppable. But leaven, in the minds of the Jewish person, is equal to sin. Why is God hiding leaven 
and his kingdom. Why is he doing that? Well, if God is the one that's hiding the leaven, then what is leaven? Or maybe who is leaven? Maybe that's you and me. Maybe what God is trying to say here, maybe what Jesus as a rabbi is trying to tell us is that God is going to advance his kingdom with ungodly people. He's going to advance his kingdom with people that have a sin problem. He's going to advance his kingdom with people that don't do it right. That make mistakes. That have wrong thoughts. And oh, by the way, it's going to bless the outsider as he does it. The mustard seed and the eleven parables both communicate this idea of small acts that are unstoppable. Logan said a couple weeks ago, when you start to share where God is working in your life, even if it is really small place, it spreads like crazy. Well, that's the first two parables. Let's take a look at the next two parables. Matthew 13, 44 through 46, the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so, and then we have another parable, parable of cost of pearl. A kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. A couple more problems that we find in these parables. First of all, why is this man finding treasure in someone else's field? It's like me coming to your backyard, finding treasure, then buying your house from you, not telling you that you had a treasure in your backyard and profiting from the treasure I found on your property. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's confusing. And why only one big pearl? Aren't we told we're supposed to diversify? I think you really got like pearls to sell everything you have, everything you have for one pearl. Again, these stories have this element of something that's hidden, which connects to the previous two parables. Uh, they're counterintuitive. They seem to, God's kingdom seems to work differently than what I would expect. And so it makes me question my thinking on how I'm supposed to live as a Christian and, and, and are my assumptions all correct? But we also have to understand that when it comes to treasures and pearls in the Jewish mindset, these are connected to wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, my son... If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, maybe that's why this guy was looking in another person's field. Then you'll discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. 
But again, who's the protagonist? Who's the main character in these stories? It's not you and me looking for treasure, looking for pearls. It's God. And if God finds treasure and finds pearls and says he's going to sell everything he has, everything he has for that one thing, then who's the treasure? Who's the pearl? Maybe it's you and I. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's those that not necessarily got it all figured out, but those who are searching after God, they're looking in his word, they're opening up and they're just trying to make sense of it all. They don't have it figured out maybe, but they're they're searching, they're looking for it. They're spending themselves on this. God is looking for people who treasure his word. Remember the first parable, the good soil, one that hears and understands and does something with the seed, with the word of God? That's what God's looking for. He's he's looking for people that they haven't figured it out, but they're, they're working at it. They're chasing after it. They're not letting their past define them. Because we could do that, right? And maybe we struggle with that. Struggle with letting our past, our sins, our failures. I remember when my first wife divorced me. She had several affairs. She divorced me. And the first time I go into church, I felt like I had a great big D on my forehead. I thought everybody could know how broken of a person I was how defective, how rejectable I was. My sin absolutely wanted to define me. Have you experienced that? Have you seen that in your friends? If so, invite them to simply chase after God through his word. Simply chase after him through his word. These parables highlight two problems. We struggle seeing God as generous towards us. We assume he could be generous for the person on our left, person on our right, that's your left, my right. We assume God could be generous towards everybody else except us. Am I right about that? Have you wrestled with that? Have you thought those thoughts? God, why aren't you generous towards me? When's that going to happen? Why don't, why don't you pay attention to my needs? I've got this concern. God, do you hear me? Are you there? We have a hard time picturing God as generous towards us. And Jesus wants to authoritatively speak into that and say, God says you are so very valuable. And even those who aren't seeking me, I can be generous to God says. He causes the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the rain to fall for the wicked and for the good. That's the kind of God he is. It's the kind of church we need to become. 
where, where we're not checking people's theological statement at the door. We're just inviting them in. Does their theology matter? Absolutely. Let's help them understand what their theology can be. Should that change our generosity? I think about every time Jesus heals somebody, he never quizzes them. Never quizzes them. What did you do last week? What were you thinking about? What movies were you watching? Who'd you, how'd your relationships go? Who'd you argue with? Who did you cuss out? He doesn't quiz them at all. He just heals them. We have a hard time seeing God as generous. And we have a hard time seeing ourselves as treasured. We see the leaven in our lives and we want to hide it. We don't want to talk about it. We want, we want to ignore it. There's been some things I've done as a parent that I was so embarrassed about. I didn't think about it for years. So embarrassed. As a, as a young man, so embarrassed by my interactions with people, I just walk away from relationships rather than admit that I, I, did, I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to look at it. I, did, I want to ignore it. I want to run from it. How often do we do that as Christians, just run from the things that are really going on in here or, or the way relationships are really happening within our homes or the way we're really functioning within our workplace environment, our part I'm talking about, our actions, our thoughts, do we know? Because I'm 50 years old, I should be further along in life than this, right? Anybody else that's 50 think that? Why do I still struggle with that issue? Christians are not known for being transparent. But we should be. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hid leaven. The only people God has to use to advance his kingdom are people that have leaven problems. It's the only ones he's got. No other choice, no other option. You and I is all he has, and we are roughly right. Can I get an amen? amen? And Jesus says, can you be comfortable with that? Can you be okay with that? Because the predominant thinking of that time is we have a zero sin policy, right? Can't you, like, isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? Walking around, policing each other? Are you sinning? Stop that. Wait a minute. You're not keeping Sabbath the way I expect. You're out of here. And they did this for good reason. They were tired of getting punished by God. And so they thought they had a zero sin policy that that would solve all their problems. But it's not achievable. I think in Isaiah 1, where he says, though your sins are scarlet as red, I will make you white as snow. It's God who does that. 
we can't do that to each other. I can't regulate your actions enough to where you become white as snow. Let's have real conversations. In our care groups and our life transforming groups, let's talk about real sin problems. Let's talk about real attitudes. Let's talk about the things in our heart that we want to run from, but we know are there nonetheless. Let's be real and talk about hard truths so that God can do something about that. We also, we let our leaven define us. And we just assume God can't use us because I'm a divorcee or because I failed as a father at times or because I struggle with these kinds of thoughts or because, or because, or because, or because. And we're just like, we get stuck and we don't move because we feel like our, our voice has been invalidated or something. And yet God says he's going to move his kingdom forward through leaven. That's you and that's me because it's all he's got. So let's stop pretending like we're not leaven. Let's stop pretending like we got this all figured out. Let's be real. Let's be honest with each other because the world around us can see what we won't talk about. Implication is this. Christ invites you to improve the soil of your heart. In a couple of years, I'd ask you to consider when it comes to the rocks and weeds of your heart, going back to that very first parable, is do you see your God as generous or stingy? And honestly, the answer is probably yes. I see God as generous and I see God as stingy. Everywhere we see God as stingy, let's figure it out why. Why do I think he's stingy in this area? And over here, like I got all the faith in the world, but over here, ugh. Like I could go to Missoula, Montana and help plant a church, but there's some times where I'm looking at my family finances or I look at, you know, struggle with one of my kids or I don't know, any number of things. I'm just, I think he's stingy, but over here I'm like, oh, he's generous, let's do this thing. And that we live these incongruent lives because we view God as generous and stingy. Let's figure out, because he's generous. He's extremely generous. His generosity is beyond understanding. And will God find you treasuring his word? Will he find you chasing after him regardless of the mistakes? Regardless of the leaven? Will he find you every day opening up his scriptures trying to just figure it out? And so, some next steps. Anchor yourself in the Word of God. And the reality is, we do not see ourselves and we do not see others the way God sees them. The way God sees us and the way He sees others. We don't, He he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
And every day I come to God's word to try to readjust my vision. It's like putting glasses back on. These are dirty. That doesn't help. I need to readjust the way I look at you and I need to readjust the way I look at myself. I need to align my thinking with what Christ says. Even in my prayer life, I have multiple verses throughout my prayer life that I read through and pray through, just as a reminder, just as like a plumb line to come back to and, and readjust my view of myself and others. Anchor yourself in the word of God. And, and this is meant to be done in community. Colossians says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. This is something worth, these are the conversations we're to have with each other. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How are you doing? Are you taking time so that Christ's words will richly dwell within you? Because if not, we're going to get off course. We're going to end up with weeds and rocks, and they're going to get in the way of the things that, that God wants to do in our lives. And then remove the self-doubt and condemnation that hinder your faith or hinder you from developing deep roots and chokes out what God is doing in your life. Remove the doubt and the self-condemnation. It's those conversations where we have with ourselves where God can never use me because. What's your because? What does that look like for you? What have you said? We've heard our friends say it too. We need to help them. We've heard people say that I'm going to hell anyway, don't matter. I've done so much wrong. And this parable speaks right to that. The only people God has to use leaven in their life. God utilizes and redeems sinful people. We believe somehow that he has to redeem them first before he could utilize them. He utilizes people. And in that process of utilizing them, putting them in, into the game, getting them involved, getting them helping out, moving the kingdom forward, he redeems people. And then you need to honestly explore where you're at. Like have a serious look at your own attitudes and perceptions about yourself, about your self-doubt, about your self Combination. What, where, where do these voices emanate from? What was that event that told me that I will always fail? What was that event that said that I will always make mistakes? What was that event that says I will never be enough? And let's let let's put an end to those events speaking to us, and let's. May God's voice to be the great voice in our lives. And then let's have transparent conversations with each other about the rocks and the weeds in our life that get in the way of us fully living out what God has created us for.
and then share the blessing of your crops. And again, it may be the smallest of things that you do that you share with someone else. You never know. I, when I look back on my 20-year history when I was in the military after I retired, I look back and I was thinking in terms of how I witnessed the people and the conversations I planned out and tried to have with folks. The conversations that were the most meaningful to them were the ones that I didn't realize I was having. I was just living out who God created me to be. Just live out your faith of following Christ. Should we do big things? Sure, let's do that. If you have a big check, checking account, should you do something with that? That's between you and God. But we don't have to wait till then to start. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.